0: commands me to call him father only a whole Thank you, Kathleen. Let's make sure I'm turned on right correctly there. Thank you, Kathleen, and Jacob there, too. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, I hope you've had a great week. Has it dawned on yet? Today is July 25th. Only five more months till Christmas. Well, i get you excited around it. I'm just looking forward to the cooler weather. Christmas come, will come and go. I'm just hoping the cooler weather. Well, Pastor Paul's away today. Jason is, uh, his uh, Pastor Paul and his family is on vacation this week, so we'll look forward to having them back uh, next week. Uh, Pastor Jason's working his way back from Honduras. As far as we know, he wasn't kidnapped and no one had to send ransom money. So um, him and Jennifer and uh, Gage Hall are on the way back after a, a week of ministry there, and he'll have the opportunity, I'm sure, next week to share some of that with us, and we look forward to, to hearing it for sure. I'm glad you're here today. Our, uh, our time is... Always valuable when it comes to uh, the preaching of God's Word. We want to try to try to make the best use of our time today. Uh, I'm not going to turn to one passage today and work through it. Uh, that's a, a, a favorite type of preaching, a type of expository preaching. Today I'm going to do more something more topical that's related to the expository pe- preaching our pastor has been taking us through as we work our way through, of course, the Gospel of John. And uh, today I want to help us to get mentally and spiritually prepared for where our pastor is taking us, and uh, hoping that uh, this will help lay a foundation for some of what's ahead for us as uh, we come to uh, the latter parts of the Gospel of John. And I appreciate songs today. Lord is forever a holy God. That's very true, isn't it? Holy. Today I think we come, we begin to approach holy ground in the Scriptures where our pastor is taking us. And I hope the thoughts I'll share today and the verses we'll look at from God's Word will be helpful in helping us to see the holiness of uh, where our pastor is taking us. But um, let's start first with prayer. I'd like to commit our time before the Lord. And, and I would ask, my, ask you as I remind myself, let's clear all the other thoughts away. Whatever else your week has brought before you this past week, whatever else lies ahead this coming week, Whatever else the rest of the day may hold Let's clear our mind, clear our hearts And allow the Holy Spirit today to truly work uh, In our uh, in our, Among us, in between us And within us So let's pray today and commit our time to the Lord Father, we indeed are grateful We come thankful for the opportunity to Together at church, just a year ago We were unable to do this And so we're, we're thankful for the privilege That uh, brings us to this time and to this place And to your word We're thankful for the The truth of songs that remind us that you are holy and uh, you are always and forever holy. And that uh, impacts the way we understand and think of the scriptures and the truth it teaches us. We thank you that we have a story to tell. May we truly be witnesses and may today our our spirits be renewed in the capacity we have to be a witness for you. We pray that you'll bless uh, this day, this time, these few moments together around your word may they be honoring to you and may they be encouraging to us and uh, we indeed pray the Holy Spirit will have liberty uh, to work in our hearts today in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our pastors led us now these many months down through um, the Gospel of John and as he these last few messages has brought us now to the arrest of Christ to the trials to the condemnation last week where Christ is now to be crucified. In my thinking, he has led us to this this place where the scripture points us to what will be a distant event at the moment. We haven't reached the hill of Golgotha yet. Calvary's a bit off at the distance. We can just glimmer a little bit of an image. We can make out a shadow here and there. And as our pastor takes us these next few chapters, we're going to be find the image become a little clearer. We're going to find ourselves getting a little more detail into the images of what the Scripture teaches us about the crucifixion of our Lord. We indeed approach holy ground, do we not? For Calvary, for that place where the innocent blood of the Son of God was shed for me and for you to bring us salvation. It's a bit off at a distance, but yet we... We cannot take our eyes away from the imagery that the Scripture paints for us. And our pastor, as he brings us to this place of the cross, I want our hearts and I want our minds prepared for that. Because I think we approach it with a special realization of what a unique place this is. And we cannot approach it, I don't believe, without thinking about the truths of the cross. The truths of the cross must, I think, be in our thinking as we step by step, verse by verse, make our way to this place where Christ suffered and died for us. Today, that's why I want to take us not to one passage, but I will look at several verses. They'll be on the screen. We'll have an opportunity to cluster them. I've put them into four groups. And so there's four truths I want to share today that I hope we will tuck away and think about and ponder for the next little while as we anticipate our pastor coming back to take us to this hill of Calvary once again and so in my in my thinking of this I want to look at verses outside the Gospel of John that have something to do with the cross there are many Many of the verses about the cross, of course, are found in the Gospels, where the descriptions are laid out before us. But around those descriptions, there are important truths, I think, that call to our attention why the cross must be understood and anticipated and valued in the way it should be, and especially as we prepare for the last few chapters of the Gospel of John. So allow me to... Today, look at these verses, and we'll look at them on the screen. Let's look at them first, the first one. The first group, I'm using as a reminder of the importance of the cross. These are verses, many of these, most all these verses, penned by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament letters. Here from Philippians 2.8, in, in, in the fashion of reminding his readers of that day, And reminding us in our day through the scriptures, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would write this, And being found in fashion as a man, that's the incarnation, that's Christ himself, the very Son of God, who took on that robe of human flesh to understand what it was to be human in the truest sense. What did he do? He humbled himself. And became obedient to death. I love the way the scripture gives it here, not just any death. It's not just that he died. It's that he died the death of the cross. Our pastor is going to take us through the details of that. And we can be reminded again of the death of the cross. What an unbelievably horrid death it is. It was known to a couple of ancient cultures But it was refined to its ultimate event by the Romans. And the Romans would practice it for several hundred years. It was the way of execution of the most hardened enemies of Rome. It would not be outlawed until the 4th century, early in the 4th century, when Emperor Constantine, now having accepted Christianity into the Roman Empire, did away with the cross. But prior to that, it was not unusual at all for for those who claimed to be followers of Christ to themselves be crucified. And Nero, in the middle of the first century, would even crucify Christians, cover their body in oil, and set them on fire. It is impossible for us to even begin to imagine. The torture and pain of the cross. And as we remember the cross, the hill of Calvary, let us remember that Christ humbled himself. Colossians, the Apostle Paul again writes to another group of Christians here and says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. What peace? The peace that was between us as humans, Sinful, degraded, and a holy God, forever holy, Christ made peace between us. He became that intermediary so that he could bring us to God the Father. He made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself. We speak, and we speak rightfully from the scriptures of the redemption of humanity, but let us never forget all creation will one day be redeemed, put back in its proper place, the new heaven and the new earth. All things are possible through that redemption that is made available only by Christ and by his death on the cross. We live in a sin-cursed world, don't we? Humanity has shown its debauchery and perversion. Even the earth itself, the scripture says, groans because of the sin curse cast upon it. And we see evidence of that all around us. We see that things are aging. Things are rusting. Things are decaying. Things are debilitating over time. We understand the path of decay that the earth is on and that our bodies are on. But we can have a rejoicing heart, a rejoicing spirit that Christ made peace through the blood of the cross so that we can have that right relationship with God the Father as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ our Lord. To the Ephesian church, Paul would write this, and that he— Christ, that he might reconcile both uh, both, to, I'll talk about them in just a moment, unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. A couple of important words in this verse, particularly to us today. The word reconcile, it's an accounting word. How many of us here know what it is, and I promise you some of you will not raise your hand because you're too young. How many of us here know what it means to reconcile a checkbook? Remember that, right? Some of the young people are looking like, oh, number one, what's a checkbook? And what does it mean to reconcile a checkbook? Before the Lord called me into full-time ministry, I was a banker. Spent several years working at a branch bank. Was a manager and people would come in with some degree of consistency and saying, you know, your bank sent me this statement that says I have $7.14, but in my account I've got $275, right? And so we would work through the details of what it would mean to reconcile a checking account. Reconcile a checkbook, that's the very word that's used here. To reconcile is to bring, it's an accounting term, it means to bring an agreement. So that when that customer walked out, they said, okay, well, now my bank statement agrees with your bank statement. It's so a reconciliation. That's the act, the, the action of Christ on the cross. He reconciled. He brought together an agreement. Who did he reconcile? The both. Again, I'm pulling out verses to look at the greater context of this. It is to say that what Paul is speaking to is the reconciliation of the Jews and the Gentiles. Both the Jews and the Gentiles have access to God the Father through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. He reconciled both unto God into one body, the body that was... Sacrifice by the, created by the cross, the body of believers, having slain the enmity. The enmity is the division. You know, the gospel message is preached to all people in all places with equal power, with equal capacity, with an equal invitation. Let me fix a little bit of that noise, I hope. With an equal invitation to all that the gospel message goes to all humanity. There is no distinction. In Paul's day, the main distinction was Gentile and Jew. That distinction is lost somewhat in our culture today, but we have other divisions. We have other ways of distinguishing people groups, but you know what, the gospel message goes to everyone. It needs to be heard by everyone. It needs to be received by everyone so that the divisions are no longer there. We come as one body of believers. We come together around God's Word to worship, to learn its truths, regardless of what heritage, what ethnicity, what background we bring to the, to the worship. It's only that now we are together in Christ. How is all that possible? By the cross. The apostle Paul would write to another group of Christians in Galatia. Here was his perspective about the importance of the cross. But God forbid that I should glory, save, or we might say today, accept, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I unto the world, and I am crucified to the world. He is saying, God forbid that I should glory. I have nothing in my life to be boastful of except the cross of Christ and what it's done in my heart, in my life. What has provided me both temporally and eternally. There's nothing for us to brag about in ourselves. It's all about Christ and what he has done. We have the opportunity then to share with others and to show to others how we can demonstrate the power of the cross in our lives. It doesn't make us perfect by a long shot, but it does make us unique and different because now we are children of God. And we have a heavenly father to whom we call upon, to whom we worship. And we have a right relationship with Jesus Christ, his son, by our faith in him. Paul would go on to say in this verse, though, that by whom the world is crucified to me and I unto the world. The phrasing there simply means Paul says, because I am born again, and my faith is in Christ, the Son of God, the world to me is dead. That's why he says the world is crucified to me. The world to me is dead. Not the people, but the philosophies. The teachings, the priorities of the culture to me are dead. And he goes on to say, and I am dead to them. They don't have an influence on me. What we as Christians are called to do, I think, is the same pattern that Paul presents to us. We need to see the culture of the world is dead to us. Do we have anything to gain from their movies, their TV shows, their music? their philosophies. We have nothing to gain from them. They are dead to me, and I need to be dead to them. Because what drives me, what motivates me as a Christian, we should say, is the cross of Christ and the gospel message that needs to be heard, needs to be proclaimed. Now, we are different and called to be different, We should be dead to the world and the world dead to us. That's an easier statement to make than it is to live. Because the culture of the world is all around us. It's in this social media technology, it's in the television, it's in sports. It's found its way in so many things that the culture is not looking, but keep in mind the culture is not looking to build us up. It's looking to get us to conform to conform to their way of thinking, to conform to their perversions, to conform to their philosophies, to conform to their priorities. And we need to keep in mind the world is not our friend. and We need not be a friend to the world. Again, I'm talking about the philosophies and the teachings. And when Scripture calls us very plainly not to love the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I think from the importance of the cross in these few verses, we can can proclaim a commitment. I want to put a commitment with each one of these truths. So listen carefully. The commitment of the importance of the cross, by the commitment of the importance of the cross, I will commit to the essential importance of the cross where the innocent Son of God died for the sins of humanity to fulfill God's redemptive plan of salvation. Will we commit to the cross— We see crosses in lots of places. We have one embedded in the window at the baptistry. There's one in the lobby here at our church. We have a cross on the Christian flag. What we dare not begin to think about those crosses is they are in some way something like a lucky charm. Because they're not. They're to be reminders of the price that was paid for our redemption that our salvation was completed by the blood of Christ. And the cross should always point us to that gospel message. So we see the importance. I want us to see in another letter, another couple of places Paul would write about the preaching and the power of the cross. I begin first with this verse from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. That's a very plain statement, isn't it? To people who are on a destination of their own making, living the life the way they want to live, having no desire of God nor the things of God, what is the preaching of the cross? Foolishness. They mock it. They laugh at us who proclaim it. They ridicule its truths. Is to them that perish foolishness. But unto, unto us which are saved. Does that involve anybody in this room? Unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Paul writes to a church in Corinth. That was a very much a metropolis type of a city. We might even compare it today to New York or San Francisco. Corinth was a large city in the day in which Paul wrote to the Christians there. And they knew what it was to live in a culture that ridiculed the teachings of Christ and the cross. Today, we likewise find ourselves in similar, a similar situation, don't we? There are plenty who will line up. We'll talk about those in a moment, a little more in detail. But to them, the cross is nothing but foolishness. But to us, let's never forget, it is the power of God demonstrated so we can see. Hebrews, we don't know exactly, but many people assume Paul wrote it, the apostle, and I will affirm that for our purposes today. He writes here to the Jews, to the Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I bet we've heard that phrase before. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross endured suffered the pain and anguish suffered the spiritual separation from the Heavenly Father just for us and not for us but for the whole world despising the shame the cross is a shameful exposure and is set down now is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's where the resurrected Christ is. He is there having endured, having suffered, having accomplished what the Father had sent him to do, fulfilling the call of salvation. To the Christians in Colossae, Paul would write this, blotting out the preaching and power, the blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances that was against us that's a big way in the translation of saying the list of all of our sins think about it how long is that list the list of all of our sins was against us we stand as it were in the courtroom of heaven with no excuse we are guilty from beginning to end we have no opportunity for plea We have no opportunity for innocence. And every condemnation named against us, there in the middle of the verse, which was contrary to us, what did he do? He took it and nailed it to the cross, is the imagery that's here. That means the accusations are no longer against me he bore my sins on the cross his death paid what justice demanded the preaching and power of the cross it's a great imagery that's given to us here as born-again Christians and with Baptist convictions we affirm The preaching of the cross. And the preaching should be Bible-centered, truth-focused, and Christ-exalting. I trust it will ever be true. As long as the Lord tarries that on this spot, behind this pulpit, to this congregation, the gospel will always be preached. Whether it's preachers of my generation or those to follow, may it always be about the cross and what Christ has done for us. May it always be Bible-centered, truth-focused, and Christ-exalting. That's necessary because we all have sinned, and we are all in need of salvation, and we are all welcome to the cross to receive salvation. What's our commitment to the preaching and power of the cross? I will commit to hearing the cross preached and the power of God's salvation proclaimed everywhere to everyone. The preaching and power. The scripture is not fuzzy at all about the need for the preaching and the power of the cross. Today, sad to say, many will gather in a building called a church. They'll come to hear a person called a preacher, proclaim something called a sermon that has nothing to do with the Bible. What a travesty of truth that is. That people will take the position of being a spiritual leader and proclaim none of it, of true, none of the biblical truth to the people in the hearing. The power and the preaching of the cross needs to be a priority for every church. The enemies of the cross. One verse here from Philippians. Again, Paul writes to the church in Philippi. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. Paul is saying this is an emotional event for me. It's an emotional thought for me. It's an emotional reality that I express to you that there are those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Does that surprise any of us? Do we, like Paul, get somewhat emotional about the reality of the enemies of the cross? Who are these enemies? They deny God. They diminish the cross. They disavow Jesus as the Christ, the only begotten Son. The enemies of the cross disobey the Bible. The enemies of, of the cross disavow the truth of the scripture. The enemies of the, the cross distort the human condition. Oh, we're not just sinners, they say. You're just having a, an episode. You've got a disease. Here, take some more medicine, attend some more therapy. Those things have their place in the right prescription. But the world too quickly runs to that and says, here's your problem, you're not taking enough drugs. If the legal ones aren't good enough, let's make legal the ones that are illegal. We're watching that happen today. We just need more drugs in our society. We need more alcohol. That'll make everybody better, won't it? Where is there absolutely any logic to that thinking? It's of those who are the enemies of the cross. Again, they deny God. They deny God exists. They deny God in the culture. They deny God to be taught to our children. They diminish the cross. They disavow Jesus. They disobey the Bible. Who needs the Ten Commandments? How dare we think about posting them in our courthouses or in our schools? The enemies of the cross, their paths are perverted, and their destination is death. They are Satan's hirelings who hoist buckets of lies and fly the flags of fools. Like the Apostle Paul, our emotions can get involved with this. Because now they're offending my Lord and my Savior. They're spitting again in his face. They're slapping him with their hands. And are we going to stand by innocently and let them? I'm reminded of a song many of us will know. Onward, Christian Soldiers, the chorus reminds us. Marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. The commitment, I will commit to stand in the way of truth, bold, confident, and courageously against the lies of the enemies of the cross. The importance of the cross, the preaching and power of the cross, The enemies of the cross are all essential truths to understanding this hill we make our way to. But we must end with this one. Your cross. My cross. Recorded in the Gospels for us, I've used today Luke 9.23. And he, Christ, speaks here. Said to them all, the multitudes and the disciples, when you go read the passage. If any man will come after me, if any person. If any one of humanity will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. These words are repeated in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 24, and in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 34. What is this cross? It's not a physical cross. We're not going to march out the door of our house every day carrying a cross on our shoulders. It's not a physical cross. It's a spiritual cross. The cross here, and sometimes it's been interpreted as being a great burden. We even have songs that speak about I'll take the I'll trade the cross for a crown, like it's a burden. I'm going to give you this and you give me that. I think that imagery may have some may have a little bit of truth in it. But I think the greater reality is the cross is a Spiritual symbol of our commitment. So we must ask the question, do we have a cross? Yes, if you have realized your sinful and lost condition. And you have humbly repented of your sin before God. And you have received the free gift of salvation through Christ. This free gift of eternal life that's given to us. You have a cross if you have realized, repented, and received. You're not just a Christian. That term gets thrown around with all reckless abandon quite frequently. You're a born again child of God. And with that new birth, we take on a spiritual cross, which which is to us a representation of the commitment that we make as Christians. Notice the three parts in this, as it repeated in the other Gospels also, the three parts to the formula Christ gives. If you will come after me, if you will follow me, if you claim by voice and by action you are a disciple of Christ, then here's the three-part formula. Deny uh, Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Okay, let's be honest. We can say no to anybody but ourselves. Can't we? We can talk ourselves into all kinds of things. We justify ourselves. We deceive ourselves is what we do. Christ knew that. Deny yourselves. Take up that cross. Let me tell you the the meaning of take up. is not the meaning of going to pick up a suitcase and carry it with you. That's, That's picking up. That's the way some people, I think, interpret it. The word here and the phrase "theology" here means to lift up, to hold it high, so that others around you can know there's something that you're doing different. Lift up that cross and then follow me, and then, then are you ready? Once you've denied yourself, once you've lifted up your cross and say, my commitment is true. Once I've done that, then Christ says, "Follow me." A lot of people, a lot of us, a lot of times, I have claimed to follow Christ and have not done the first two things. The scripture is very plain. It's it's said three times, and it's always said in the same phraseology: to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow me. I pick this verse, over the other two, because in this occasion, the Scripture uses the word daily. That's it. It's daily. We don't make a commitment this Sunday to say, Lord, get me through the rest of the week, and I'll meet you back here next Sunday, do we? We make a commitment every day. When we arise in the morning, it should be in our thinking as we progress through the Early parts of the day, Lord, help me today to deny myself. Otherwise, I may deceive myself. Lord, help me today to deny myself. Lord, help me today to lift up that cross that I may show others what it is to live the life of a Christian, a true Christ follower. And Lord, I will lead you wherever this day takes me. We've all had days we woke up with plan A in mind and everything went south from there. We got a phone call, an accident occurred. Something changed that day that we had not anticipated. And yet the Lord says, follow me through that, go with me. And he gives us the opportunity to make a commitment. I will commit to daily denying myself, taking up my cross and following the living Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, the power The importance of the cross, the preaching and power of the cross, the enemies of the cross, your cross, my cross. I think those are truths we need to take with us as we, verse by verse, make our way to the hill of Calvary. So that when we again anticipate what the scripture teaches about Christ on the cross, we'll be ready not just to go to Calvary, but then to turn and walk away from Calvary because our intent is not to spend time there. Christ only stayed there for less than a day himself. We too will walk away from Calvary, but may we walk away different individuals, different servants of the living Lord. May we walk away committed to do these things as the cross, I think from the scripture, inspires us to do and calls us to do. How do I do all of this? Well, we prioritize the truth of the Bible, Daily prayer, daily submission to the Lord, growing in our faith, keeping priorities and focus, staying in God's Word. That's why we have these things called Bible study fellowships. It's an opportunity to get in God's Word and allow God's Word, more importantly, to get in us. How do we do all of that? We do it by staying near the cross. Near the cross something to think about today as we close our altar will be open but I'm asking you to make the commitment where you stand a renewed commitment to the cross so that when we get there as our pastor leads us into this holy place we will have a right truth about the Bible in our thinking Bow your heads with me if you will please father thank you today for the words of the Scriptures They remind us of the importance of the cross, of the power and the preaching that's found in the cross and the necessity to preach it. We're reminded of the enemies of the cross. And so we make our commitment to stand bold and sure. We're reminded each of us as born again believers, followers of Christ, have a cross to bear, a commitment that we've made to you through that new birth. I pray that you'll allow us as our pastor takes us these next weeks ahead to the hill of Calvary through the words of scripture. May we approach that cross understanding its holiness and it's a place where we see ourselves in the truth of what the Bible teaches us about these things of the cross. Before I close in prayer, maybe you have not come to Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've not received that gift of salvation. Let me encourage you today to do that A simple prayer before the Lord. I mentioned earlier the idea of realizing you are a sinner. It's a prayer to pray before the Lord. Father, I realize I'm a sinner condemned in my sin. From there to repent. Lord, forgive me. From there to receive. Father, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you've made that special prayer today a part of your thinking, a part of your life, then by the scripture's authority, receiving Christ gives you new life, eternal life, spiritual life that can never be taken away. You are born again. If that's true for you today, I hope you'll take a moment after the service is over and catch up with me. I'll be down here at the front for a while and, uh, and let me share that moment with you and pray with you but I want all all of us who name the name of Christ to make a commitment in this moment of silence and prayer before we sing. Father, bless our hearts today. Bless our minds to the thinking of the scriptures. Bless our lives as we seek to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let me get you to stand.